Welcome to another episode of Web Dev Weekly, the weekly podcast about web development. I'm Brad Garropy. And I'm Richard Gottlieber. And this week, we're going to talk about NPM. That's right. Ninja Pumpkin Mutants or Node Package Manager. Now, if you've done much with web development, I'm sure you've typed in NPM install and a bunch of stuff has happened. What exactly is going on? So the first thing to think about is Node Package Manager, notes like the backend for a lot of web applications. It's based in JavaScript and it has these things called packages, which are basically just like programs that are bundled up nicely that you can use and it manages them. Hence the name Node Package Manager. It'll take all those packages and install them and their dependencies and all that stuff. And you'll end up with a file called node modules. All this is to say, you type in this one command and everything you need for your website to run gets installed. But have you ever wondered where do those packages come from? I personally don't know, but Brad has made some packages. So he's going to walk us through what exactly happens to create a node package. So Brad, where do we start? So this episode is going to cover everything you need to create and publish an NPM package. And if you think it might be easier, I have a YouTube series and a blog post covering lots of the same information. We'll link those in the show notes below. But if you're ready to stick around for the podcast, let's get started. One thing to start with is talking about like what the role of a package manager is, uh, because a package manager serves two types of people, the consumers of the packages and the creators of the packages. So a package manager has to have some kind of a registry where you can store these packages, upload them, download them, and look them up. So for NPM, for Node Package Manager, they have npmjs.com. That's kind of like the UI version of where you can search for packages and find what they have listed on their registry. But another important part of a package manager is their CLI and their CLI tools and the concept of package.json in this case for node package manager. A package manager needs to have a way to say, this is what my package is. And these are the other packages that my package depends on. And so NPM does this through a file called package.json. And this file is incredibly important, whether you are creating a package or consuming a package. So if you're going to author a package, the first thing you're going to want to do is initialize your project. You create a directory called whatever you want. And inside that directory, you run a command through the NPM CLI called NPM init. What this essentially does is scaffolds out that very important package.json for you. Of course, you could type this all out by hand or use a template that you have online, but NPM init is probably the fastest way to do it. And it prompts you with different questions. What's the name of your package? Uh, what license is it going to have? What's the description? And that creates package.json for you. Now there's lots of really, really interesting fields in package.json, but um, I'll just kind of do a high level overview of ones that I think are important for publishing packages. First and foremost is the name field. The name field is the name of your package, but there's one caveat there. Um, NPM, the package registry, you have to have a unique name or if it's not unique, you can scope your packages. So you might have seen some packages that are like at Adobe slash the name of the package. The at Adobe part is the scope. And typically you'll see scopes where it's either 
a user's name or a company name or an organization name. And that way they can have the name of the package that they want under their namespace. And if you were thinking about making a new package, would you first go to NPM and search for it to see if you need to scope it? Or would you just scope by default? It depends on kind of who's consuming the package or how you want to organize your packages. There is a guy named Tanner Lindsley where a lot of his packages are under his personal name. And I do that as well. Because when I create packages, a lot of times I think they're for me and maybe only for me. But if you want a package to get, you know, pretty popular or be more easily searchable, you want to try to get a really good name on NPM. So for instance, when React came out, everybody was making packages called React-whatever. React-table, React-calendar, React-slider, React-progress, whatever. And so those are kind of hot names. You can almost think of NPM package names like domain names. You kind of got to rush to get the best ones because they're the most searchable and like the most popular. Is, is package squatting a thing? Package squatting is totally a thing. When That's new terrible. frameworks come out, people will like jump on them and hold on to them. That's terrible. Oh man. Okay. Although, you <laughs> know, it, they don't cost money or anything. So like, I'm yeah. sure it's just like, you have to come to an agreement with somebody if they want it or if they have a reason. What happens if you try to publish a package that the name has already been reserved? Yep. So if you're an NPM publish and either you don't have access to publish to that particular scope or the name is already taken, you'll get an error. And I guess too, another question, is it possible to transfer ownership to someone else? I believe the answer to that is yes. NPM has an owner command. Okay. And I think you can do that. I've never had to in my time. Man. It's a lucrative thing there. Start making the package squatting a uh, business going yeah. forward. Okay. So the next really important field is version. The way package registries work is that they have, you can upload different versions of a package and NPM really encourages you to use semantic versioning. That's the, uh, the kind of three digit versioning scheme where it's like major dot minor dot patch version. And what that does is it really plays into how you upgrade and release your packages. So if you're just starting a package, the version should probably be 0.0.1. .0 and then we'll link the semantic versioning guidelines so that you can understand a little bit more about how all that comes into play. Uh, the next two important fields I think are dependencies and dev dependencies. So if you're a consumer of an NPM package, you probably know a lot about this. Dependencies are the things that your program needs to run. Dev dependencies are things that your application needs, but only while developing. And the main difference here is that dev dependencies don't get included in your final bundle, essentially. They're ignored. They're only for while you're developing your application. But dependencies will get included. And there's also some small caveats about when and where dev dependencies get installed and I can link off to some documentation there that kind of clarifies that a bit more. And finally, something that consumers of NPM packages are definitely very aware of is the scripts property. Scripts is where you define all of your NPM scripts like start or test or build or release, anything like that. And NPM has a command called NPM run, where then you can give the property name of any of those scripts and it will execute. And one final property that's very, very important for 
package creators is the property called files. This actually tells NPM when you package up and bundle up my package and send it to NPM, only include these files. It's an array and you can kind of put globs in there that specify what directories you want included. Most commonly, you're typically building some JavaScript and putting it in a dist folder. And the files array is typically just dist slash. And that says, take everything in the dist folder. And that's only the thing you want to upload to NPM. Because remember, a lot of the packages that you're creating could be used in a browser or on a Node.js server. If they're used in a browser, you really want to do your best to create the smallest package size on NPM that you can. And this files property really comes in handy for doing so. There's also sites like bundle phobia that'll tell you how big your package actually is. NPM has some numbers on there, but they're not great. Bundle phobia will tell you how much it is raw, minified, minified and gzipped, all sorts of stuff like that. So I want to back up for a second, just thinking through the dependencies. I know when I do like a NPM install, my node modules folder goes boom and gets gigantic. When you're making a brand new package, like how do you, how do you go about figuring out your dependencies? Right? So like you have Brad's awesome, I don't know what, Hue SDK. Like that's a good one, right? You have that, that NPM package that you created. How did you figure out what dependencies you actually needed for that? Yeah, it's just like when you're developing an application, you start off requiring essentially zero dependencies. You're writing some raw JavaScript. And the next thing you know, you're in Node and you need a way to fetch something from an API. They're like, oh, I could either use the Node standard libraries to write all this, or I could install a Node fetch dependency. That's very much up to the discretion of the developer on where they want to reach for external packages to solve a problem for them or write the solution themselves. As always, writing the solution yourself is going to be a little bit tougher and a little more time consuming, but it's probably going to end up in a smaller JavaScript bundle size because you didn't have to account for all the use cases that some popular package does. Okay. So you can, part of what I was wondering there is that given the number of dependencies that a lot of things seem to have, is there a process for dependency auditing? Because I, in my mind, a lot of them, it's like, you know, you install something fairly simple and the dependencies, you're like, why on earth do I have this package installed when I'm not doing anything with it, right? It seems completely unrelated. And so I was just kind of wondering, like, auditing which ones of the dependencies are actually applicable to what you're doing to prevent that, like, you know, just ever expanding. Like, there's so many joke memes out there about, like, you know, NPM install, it's like, you know, the heaviest thing in the universe. It's like, you know, shows the gravity of the sun and a black hole, and then it's like node modules. <laughs> You know, and like, it's like ridiculous. Or like, you know, you're like, hey, NPM install, my package is here. And you run to the door instead of like one little box, it's just like, the room is filled with boxes. Yeah, so that node modules folder is a representation of all of the dependencies that you listed in the dependencies property in your package JSON, as well as every single one of their dependencies. So mm -hmm. the entire dependency tree is downloaded and placed in the node modules folder. Now you bring up a really good point. Like what if you installed something, but don't actually use it? There is an NPM command on the CLI called NPM check that will tell you, uh, what dependencies are unused. I don't know how reliable it is necessarily because I've never used it, 
but it is out there and you should definitely go check it out. And talking about dependencies, another really handy command is npm outdated. If you are a consumer of a bunch of npm packages and you want to grab the latest version, you just run npm outdated and it's going to show you whether it's a major minor or patch change and how far out of date you are. And then you can run npm update to update those packages. Now I said semantic versioning is important and that's because if you're out of date in a patch or minor way, npm update will automatically update that for you because there should be no breaking changes if the package authors are following semantic versioning. However, if your package is out of date by a major version, you have to manually go and specify, I want to update this package from V2 to V3, because you are now taking that risk of, I probably need to change some things in my code because the package author said there was a breaking change by indication of a major version update. Okay. So Brad, so far we've kind of talked through what would be like the environment setup. Is that what you would call it? Right. So like defining the actual lay of the land when it comes to creating something new for NPM. All this stuff is kind of that like scaffolding out that you have to do. You have to understand what you're doing. But to me, that's not the fun part yet, right? Like, so when do we get to the fun part, Fred? Which the is actually doing development. The fun part starts right now. And and it's it's actually writing your application. So You've got all your package JSON set up and you open up index.js and you start typing away and then you wind up, you know, making a bunch of files and installing a bunch of dependencies. And after a few hours, you look up from your keyboard and you realize, I think I'm done. During the development cycle, one of the things you're going to need to do is like actually test that your package works and is installable and can be imported by something else. So and you mean it working on my machine isn't enough? <laughs> yeah. And so like, you can't really publish just a bunch of test versions up to NPM because those kind of have to stay on there forever. And I'll, I'll kind of talk about that later when we talk about publishing, but NPM has this way to kind of fake installs on your local machine. As we talked about earlier, everything links back to a node modules folder. And when you install your package, it's going to go in the node modules folder of whatever application declared it as a dependency. But there's different levels of node modules folders. There are, there are like application level node modules, but there's also global node modules on your computer. So you can NPM install with a dash dash global flag. And now a command winds up in your, you know, global bin directory where you can run it from anywhere on your computer. So. If you want to do local development of your package and make it available for kind of like install, you run this command called npm link. And what that does is it creates a sim link from your package to the global node modules folder. And then in another package, you know, maybe like a, like a test package or a test application, you can run npm link, the name of your package. And it uses that sim link to connect the two. So you have the package you're actually developing on one side and another package that you're using to test your package under development. And it's all being synced through a sim link where you're actually basically just running the code that exists in your development package on your machine. So that's how you test locally. Now let's say all those tests work out well and you're ready to actually publish the thing. 
there's a lot that goes into publishing on NPM. And one of the first steps is to understand how NPM is going to actually back up and bundle up your package. Uh, and there's a great CLI command for this called NPM pack. If you run this command, it's going to kind of spit out a list of all the files that's included in the package and the size of the package and all that kind of stuff. So you can see exactly what files from your disk directory are being thrown in there, or if you're getting extraneous files that you don't really need. There's some caveats here because there's some files that are always included in your NPM package, and I don't think they allow you to take them out at all. So number one, first and foremost, is the package.json. Your package has to be able to kind of declare itself and its dependencies. And number two is the readme. The readme is also included by default because there should be some documentation with your package. And then obviously everything in the files configuration that you put in your package JSON. So if you said, I want the disk directory included in this package, that's what NPM is going to stick in there. Or if you don't say anything, I think it just takes like the root and puts everything in there. So it's up to you to kind of slim down what pieces of code and what files you want included and what are excluded. And again, that goes back to, I forget what the website was that talked about the actual size. It was, uh, bundle phobia, bundle phobia. There you go. Like that's, you're, you're basically trying to get it down as small as possible. Right? Like, and I know from experience, like with VS code, there's some, uh, plugins that you can use that'll show you the size of the packages you're importing. And there's some honking big packages out there that are, uh, man, really gnarly. And I always appreciate when they're really small. So yeah. I think that probably increases adoption of whatever you're building to, if it's small and lightweight, I would assume, because then it's faster, easier to use, takes less up you know, space. It, it depends on where it's being used. If your package is intended for browser use, absolutely. You need to do your best job to minify and tree shake and all, all the kind of stuff. But if you're writing this for like a Node.js environment, it doesn't matter all that much at the end of the day. But let's say all goes well, you've written your package, you've, you've tested what it's going to look like when it's deployed NPM with NPM pack. Now it's time to run the big command NPM publish, but thank God there's a dash dash dry run flag on it. So you can actually use the dry run flag on NPM publish to test out what it's going to do. And it'll, it'll mostly give a lot of the same output that NPM pack did. It's going to say, this is your package name. This is your package version. This is what is included in it. And you know, this is where we're going to send it. Do you think this is good? And when you're totally ready, you can run NPM publish. This has a lot of implications, right? Like we talked about earlier, you can only publish to namespaces that you own or are, or have not been taken yet. So you can't publish to somebody else's organization or you can't publish over top of anybody else's package name. And once they're published, it's very hard to take them down from NPM because you have to think about this. This is a global package registry. If I just removed react from the package registry, everybody's installs would break. So once a specific package version has been released, typically you can't take it down. There are some exceptions. If, if there's been like less than a certain number of downloads or X amount of other packages depend on it, or it's like not that many. NPM has some caveats where you can run an unpublished command to pull it off of NPM. 
really what you want to do instead is deprecate the package. If you ever have to take a package down or deprecate a version or something like that. And there is a process to do that. And I wrote about that on my blog. We'll link it in the show notes, but essentially the end result is you should update your readme, run an NPM deprecate command, and that version still stays up, but it's marked as deprecated and it, it kind of gets excluded from a lot of NPMs smarts that it used to tell you what the latest version is or their upgrade scripts or whatnot. And while publishing packages manually is always nice, at the end of the day, you want that sweet, sweet GitHub integration. So one of the best ways to do this is with GitHub actions, you can actually, every time you push to master or release a tag, however you choose, automatically run a GitHub action that will, you know, build your package, install it, run some tests, and then ultimately run an NPM publish command that sends it up to the global registry. And that way, deploying an NPM package feels a lot like deploying a website or, you know, you know, deploying your microservice out to the cloud or whatnot. Yeah. So you'd use something like GitHub Actions to do like that deployment pipeline, right? Where you just do a commit, it'll run all the tests. If everything's good, then it'll actually publish it. Yeah. And the way I do it specifically is push just to master, just kind of run my linting and formatting and uh, tests and things like that. And only when I create a tag, because that's when it gets a version, essentially, uh, it takes that tag and pushes it up to NPM. So meaning in GitHub, I would make like a V.1.0.0 tag. And on tag creation is when I like to run my GitHub actions that actually push to NPM. Okay. What's also cool is NPM has this notion of quote unquote tags. So you have the version of the package. You also have a tag that you can append to the end of that. So you could have v1.0.0 dash beta or dash alpha or dash QA. And you just use the NPM tag command to add these tags to your package versions. And then you can get really fancy with your CI CD where maybe you have a master branch that goes to QA. And then you have like a release branch that goes to like a stage and you have like a, a stage tag or something. Then you actually have your actual releases that go out, which could be, you know, get tags or something like that. Okay, cool. So we've talked through like the entire process now of NPM init, creating the base directory, going through setting up the entire package definition, doing some work, getting the package there, publishing it. So I know I mentioned earlier your Hue SDK. What all packages have you published and why? I've published somewhere in the realm of like, I don't know, like 20 or 30 packages, I think. And I don't know how I ever like got that many, but a lot of them are just very small. I've got the Hue SDK, which is one of my favorites. I use it to power the, the lights for my Twitch stream. I've got a couple like React hooks that are really good for countdown timers and stopwatches that I use. Uh, one I use for my Twitch streams, one I use for an, uh, an app that I wrote called Murphy. I also published a bunch of packages around my ESLint configs so that as I assembled my ESLint configs for different types of projects, I didn't have to think about it every time. So I've got one for just vanilla JavaScript, one for React, 
one for TypeScript and they're composable. So like if I have a React and TypeScript project, I can like compose the ESLint configs and they override each other where they need to. And it's very simple to just spin up a new project with the right ESLint configs. And what else? I have a bunch of packages around Plop as well for code generation in my React projects. So if I want to generate a hook or a context or a component, it'll automatically scaffold it out in the way that I like to do instead of relying on like a VS code extension that essentially just has glorified snippets. So I found that Plop is really nice because it's command line driven. And then I also have like a really fun package called Brad Garaby. It's just my name actually. And it acts as my business card. And this is actually a great segue to uh, another handy command called NPX. So if you're sitting at your computer listening right now, go ahead and type in NPX Brad Garaby. And what NPX does is it actually installs and runs the package that you write after it. So it can be a little bit dangerous running NPX on just any script out on the internet, but you get NPX Brad Garaby, it's going to install that package, run it, and it's going to spit out essentially my business card, which is kind of cool onto your terminal. And you're lucky it's just that because otherwise you could be saying right now, and now you have to send me 500 Bitcoin to unlock your computer because you should never <laughs> run something that you don't know what it is. Totally. I don't know why so many people are like, NPX sounds great. Uh, I, I find it really, really weird. So like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, a lot of this information is covered in a YouTube playlist, free video series that I have out there. I'll link it in the show notes below. And thanks for tuning into Web Dev Weekly. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe in your podcast player. Check us out on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes. And definitely join our Discord. That link is also in the show notes. See y'all next week. Mm -hmm.